Hello, listeners. You are listening to Hearth, Home, and Homicide, a family production about family murders. My daughter Caroline and I narrate each story, and son Andy is our producer. I should say son and brother Andy is our producer. As Caroline and I talk about each family murder, we keep sensitivity for victims and their families in mind. Our podcasts do include violence and trauma. Listener discretion is advised. So, hi there, Caroline. Hey there. How are you doing? It's the New Year's. Two, it's 2024. How, that's a big number. It's a big number. I keep trying to think back to the um, Daffy Duck c- cartoons where he would, the 22 and a half century, like what year was it? <laughs> With Marvin the Martian, remember? I remember all that. Some of it is a blur. Some of it is a blur, but some of it is very memorable, uh, including, you know, Daffy Duck. I'll just, you know, I love Daffy. I love Walt Disney way back in the 80s, 70s. Yeah. Yep. Um, I could get, I don't, I don't dislike them now. I'm just not as mystified. Yeah. by the magic no and there was that year and like I think it was the first um financial fallout uh, around the 2008-ish era and I believe I read an article that said Disney was very aware of the socioeconomic bracket they were after so they were unconcerned about complaints and so I, I understood that to mean I was not in that socioeconomic bracket. I'm okay with that too. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm used to it. Yeah. I in have fact, many magical I find places so many on small earth. small pleasures. I don't know that wealthy people can find those small pleasures, but mm-hmm. I'm probably wrong about that. It depends. You know, it's it's in the eye of the beholder, as they say. It's like I can have a good time with a wet brown paper sack if I had to. That's a skill. So I'm happy about it. It really is. And I know a lot of art you can do with a wet brown paper sack. So we'll we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> I don't know we got there, but. <laughs> so Caroline, for New Year's 2024, you and I were having a conversation about the new year turning just sort of invites a feeling of, I don't know, another chance, like redemption of some sort. Yes. A start over. A do-over. A start over. A do-over. Yeah. It's an invitation to reinvent if you want to, or discard this and pick up that. And so uh, we're going to take a look and try to figure out a son who had everything he needed or wanted, but still found it necessary to annihilate his family, his sweet, good, loving, hardworking Christian parents, and his beloved brother had to die. Even though this killer son, whose name is Bart Whitaker, says he has no idea why he killed them. So there's a lot to look at here. And it's both sweet and sad, evil and hopeful, all at the same time. So that too reminds me of New Year's a little bit. So To get that look that we want to take, we need to go to Sugarland, Texas. Now, Sugarland is an idyllic upper-class suburb 40 minutes southwest of Houston, where I lived for a short period of time, and it was crowded and it was hot. December 2003, the quiet community was of Sugarland was shattered when a family of four was ambushed and gunned down by an armed intruder as this beautiful family entered their wonderful, upscale Sugarland home. So why was this family considered beautiful by their community? Well, to me, beautiful means, gee, I wish I looked that clean or prosperous or drove that car. So that's kind of what I mean by beautiful. Tricia Bartlett and Ken Whitaker married in the 1970s. Tricia was a teacher, and Ken worked as an executive in his family's construction business. 
Later, he would also work as part of Trisha's family business as well. So they started out as advantaged young newlyweds. They weren't just young and fit, but they were well off financially. They had two sons. First, Bart, who was fun. He was outgoing. He was a lovable kid. Then they had Kevin, who was gentle and kind, kind of quiet. Bart instantly appointed himself as a protector, a buddy, a loving companion brother to Kevin. So these two brothers were inseparable. So, of course, the parents have so many pictures of just the loving, innocent bond between brothers. I know because I had two boys before I had you, Caroline, and I took a lot of pictures. Oh, look, they turn out to be nice and sweet. I know. I I was just thinking of those very pictures. That's funny that you say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it when children are young, they are sweet. They really are. And they <laughs> <Thank> just <God. laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, I had someone who I can't remember who it was, a writer maybe. Somehow I came across this statement that, you know, when a child is born, you're you're working with somebody who has had a recent encounter with the creator. Oh, that I like that. That's awesome. Yes. And so that might be a reason that babies and children are just so sweet and so magnetic. Yes. Uh, It just depends on your point of view about uh, a higher power. So at some point, I just feel like that applies no matter what. I mean, it's like that out of the everything and into here, like the where. Oh, yes. E.E. Cummings. Where did you come from, baby dear? Out of the everywhere and into here. I just think that that's correct. You know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I don't know. At some point. Trisha became a substitute teacher so that she could be more actively involved in the raising of the kids, helping with their projects and so forth. This family was very active in church and community events, and they were comfortable financially. Maybe affluent is the word, maybe millionaires, but they worked. So I don't know, you know, that they had the you know, born with a silver spoon in my mouth kind of thing going on. I think that they were just hardworking and they did have some finances that were an advantage. Um, So they were well off, but they worked hard, as I said, and Kent worked very hard in the family businesses. So he's not only in his family's business, but also his wife's family business. So Bart Whitaker and his younger brother, Kevin, were so close, so sweet to each other and loving that everybody who knew them talked about that, just talked about the affect that they were projecting. So Bart and his father shared a passion for distance bicycling, and they rode all over the place for hours. In one year, they racked up 1,500 miles together on a bicycle. I don't think I could go 1,500 minutes on a bicycle, but anyway. I like the stationary ones. Yeah, I like the stationary ones too. (laughs) This family was very active in church and community events, and they were very comfortable financially. And again, maybe affluence is the word. But Bart and his younger brother, Kevin, being so close and so forth and so on, It was just fun when they went on vacations to places like the Grand Canyon. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Okay. How about Cancun, Mexico? And on and on and on. They were traveling, adventurous, loving parents who could indulge those kinds of things with their family, but it was all about the family. They were very comfortable. They enjoyed their church and they enjoyed their community, too, of Sugar Land. And being a family together. To outsiders, there seemed to be a lot of love in that family. It seems like they were living an actual life in 2003 that people posed to recreate their own version of their family on Facebook today. 
nobody's watching, and yet everybody is saying that from the outside looking in, it looks very loving. And it, but uh, you know, there's no account anywhere that well, they were not loving. Let's put it in perspective. A lot of us remember this, so it's like one of those unconscious uh, things that we know. Um, but prior to Facebook, you made photo albums, you made scrapbooks, you made. PowerPoint presentations, you made like, we even had little slides, like projector slides from dad's old stuff. Yeah. You just, you found other ways of doing it within your small sphere. And yeah, yes. a lot of times that way, if you were in church, you were going to have a lot of friendships of people coming in. And, oh, look at these pictures from the vacation we just took. That was how Facebook was propagating itself before the internet. <laughs> You know, well, a lot of moms like me and a lot of grandmothers like me, we had what was called the brag book that we carried around in our pocketbook. And, you know, so when I met somebody, you know, do you have children? Why? Yes, I do. Let me show you some pictures of my children. (laughs) Yes, I remember. Anyway, their community meant a lot. (laughs) Family meant a lot. They were real, Caroline. All of it. I've done a lot of research on this family and uh, they actually are real. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Uh, they were living this Facebook life, but it wasn't Facebook yet. The love and the way they lived were steeped in the Christian faith. Now, I have a picture of this family as truly and steadfastly looking at their Christian faith as a guidebook for how to live as a human being. I I just wonder, am I the only person who wishes for a life instruction manual? I think that that is how religion was born, was that many people really need a guidebook and they want one. They're desperate for it. Um, so I think, yeah, you want to try to remember all the good stuff, like turn the other cheek and like, you know, like and you want to have hope. Yeah. And hope and just a knowing, a trusting of the world around you that if you do your part, the other parts will be done by the others. And there's something to that. Everybody wants oh, to Oh, absolutely. That. And you know, New Year is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have some hope. Yeah. Like, you know, last year's in my rear view. What can I learn from it? What did I want? What do I want more of or less of in this year? Right. And try to create that for yourself. And when you are in a community of people who are like you following a certain major religion or minor religion or whatever that is, I mean, you know, I think any, any, uh, anything that is about faith, hope, charity, love, those kinds of things, you're going to be comforted um, by those things. And I think that those of us who are looking for it will find comfort in having a new year. So love and God, family and country, this was the kind of stuff that fueled the Whitaker family. This is my impression of the family uh, after reading various information sources And one of my information sources was a book called Murder by Family, written by Bart's father, Kent. So spoiler alert that Kent was seriously wounded in the family murder event, but he survived. Yeah. I like Kent a lot. He's a very soft soul to me. Just the very limited that I've seen of him. He's clear about his purpose. He's clear about his, like, his you know, design in life and like his goals and he's very soft and loving. And I liked him as a person. I like him too. I didn't understand a lot of where he was coming from, but I liked him and he was inspirational to me. (laughs) Right. On the evening of December 10th, 2003, things began with a special announcement at the Whitaker residence. Now, this announcement was expected, sort of, But at the same time, the parents were thinking, will this ever happen? But what happened that night is, you know, they were thinking that will Bart ever really graduate and finish college and get his degree? But that night, December 10th, 2003, Bart Whitaker told Kevin and his parents 
Kent and Tricia Whitaker that he had finished his final exams at nearby Sam Houston State University and that he would be graduating. And oh my God, excited explosion of pride and maybe a little relief from everybody in that family. So to honor his achievement, his parents presented him with a Rolex watch. And that night, the family went to a popular restaurant that they all enjoyed called Papado's. They took a lot of pictures of this great day. Now, when I read that, they gave him a Rolex. It seems like they were hoping and sort of worrying at the same time about Bart. He had been in trouble for a while. So it was, it was a happy time, though, at Papado's. The family snapped photos over a festive dinner and a congratulatory dessert. Onlookers would never know by looking at him that Bart knew, even as he smiled for the camera. He knew an intruder had quietly entered their home and was waiting for their return. As Bart and, you know, and Bart knew it, Caroline. That's so crazy now to think, to kind of put it like that. That was always true. But now that you've laid it out like that, it's it's There are copious pictures of that family in that dinner and he looks joyful Uh, and yet he knew if everything went according to his plan in less than 30 minutes his brother mother and father would be dead So when the family arrived home, Bart, knowing what awaited his family inside the house, ran down the driveway saying that he needed to take his cell phone out of his car. So apparently he left his cell phone in his car. But that's his guise for not being there. Right. Kevin opened the door. Now, Kevin is the quiet, younger child. He stepped in. And he was shot dead. The mom, Tricia, stepped up to the door and she too was fatally shot. She did have one last utterance oh no. Oh. The dad, Kent, looked in the front door and was shot. But he was simultaneously walking to the door to see what the popping sounds were because he wasn't quite sure. And he was also simultaneously looking back to see if Bart was behind him. So he was in such an odd stance. The bullet injured him very badly in the shoulder area, and he was bleeding profusely, but it didn't hit center mass. Bart ran into the house and pretended to try and catch the shooter. They wrestled a bit, and then Bart was shot in the arm to make him appear to be a victim also. Caroline, how cold can a human being be? If 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 Bart were normal, so to speak, he would have taken off running to a neighbor for help or screamed at his stricken family. It's just important to realize that he can follow his script perfectly, even as his family is obliterated. And he pulled it all together. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just, you know, have you ever had a moment like that? No, 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 no. I, I am an emotional being, so they all come spewing out, typically the mouth or the eyeballs. So no, I don't have this cold, calculated, fakey. This is crazy. This is a crazy story. And I, the mom, the poor mom, like, oh, and the brother. I don't. I mean, I just, I feel like the brother is the sweetest, kindest. Now, is he the older brother or the younger brother? Because I thought that Kevin was. Born I first. believe that Kevin is the younger because Bart looked after his brother Kevin. Okay. And if I said it in reverse earlier, I was wrong. Okay. So Kevin, that it was Bart who was a doter on Kevin. 
And it makes sense because Kevin's only 19, right? And and if he, Bart's graduating college, he's probably more like 20. Something. Yes. Okay. He was 20 when he killed his family. Bart ran into the house and pretended to try and catch the shooter, as I said, and then, you know, he got shot in the arm. In prison, Bart reflected to an interviewer why he allowed himself to be shot. And he said, well, it was to distance myself from my guilt. He said, I also think at the internal level, it was me realizing that there was no way that I could come out of this physically unscathed. So here is a man who is uh, very interesting to me because usually let's just take uh, narcissism or, or antisocial personality disorder, both of which I know nothing about clinically or I have no education but when I hear about these things and I look them up, one of the things that is uh, consistent with these personality disorders is a lack of insight into one's own uh, emotions and one's own how they are responded to by others. But here we have Bart. He has enough going on in his mind as a normal person yeah. to realize that I have to be wounded or nobody's going to take me seriously. Right. Well, there there is something here that is hard for me to parse out because, and I wonder if some of it isn't, and this is me entirely, but with affluence and money and privilege, like when you're born into that, you really are on a higher plane than most other babies that are born, Right. So yeah. because you're you're educated from moment one. Now education is the great equalizer to me because the more informed one can be, you don't have to be a genius. Just the more informed one can be or can make themselves, the more powerful they can be. And so to me, that still applies to sociopaths, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think there's still this ability to educate yourself into a more expert level, whatever you are. And unfortunately, I think psychopath is one of those things you can become a more expert level in, right? If you right. Educate. So I guess the piece that might be missing in BART that is found in a lot of killers, especially the ones that are from well-to-do families, is um, grandiosity. Yeah. I do not believe that he suffers from grandiosity. Yeah. Entitlement, yes. Yes grandiosity i'm not so sure but this is just a curious speculation on my yeah. part well there's definitely he, lack of empathy i mean i don't even think he really cares like he's so matter of fact i think he know he recognizes he came from a really wealthy family or a really loving family who was well off or you know just wasn't he wasn't struggling in ways that maybe other people his age were but none of it mattered like he was indifferent to all that well and he ha must have a drive to kill yeah. So, I mean, he's got that going for him. Anyway, a neighbor called 911 and responding officers found 19-year-old Kevin Whitaker dead when he fell down from he a single bullet to his chest. So, boom, he's dead. Trisha Whitaker died of a single gunshot wound soon after being airlifted to the hospital. So, she suffered or maybe she was knocked out, I don't know. Kent Whitaker survived his gunshot wound to the arm. Also wounded, Bart made a convincing fourth victim. So Kent being shot in the arm was because of that odd position he was in, watching out for his son, Bart, but also trying to go see what was going on in the house. So he was kind of, you know, contorted. So he got shot in the arm, which was good luck for Bart because that made his arm wound more realistic. Right. If everyone dies and you get hit in the arm. Right. Suspect. That's a tell sometimes. <laughs> so after clearing the house, police initially thought that they were dealing with a burglary, burglary gone awry. When the dispatcher told me that four people had been shot, I initially thought she was joking with me, said Sugarland Homicide Sergeant Marshall Slot, the lead detector, detective and investigator on the case. The crime scene that I was investigating was a burglary gone bad where the victims were shot by the suspect and the suspect fled the scene. And the whole thing just didn't add up to him. But anyway, Slot scanned the crime scene for any clues that might help him find the killer. 
He found drawers pulled open as if by a burglar, a gun safe that had been pried open, four spent shell casings, and a 9mm handgun with four bullets missing from its clip. But Slot's investigation led him to one dead lead after another. Police tracking dogs picked up a scent in the house and followed it outside, but only to a dead end. Crime scene investigators found no fingerprints. They took the gun back to the crime lab for a closer examination, but a palm print they found was not big enough to identify one particular person. And I want to go back to these dogs. In another um, story that I read about this or a, a transcript of some sort or something, when they say that the dogs wound up in a dead end, what really happened was the dogs wound up going to Bart's car. Oh, so, no oh yeah, my God. yes. And so they somehow the dogs got the you know mm-hmm. got to sniffing and went over to Bart's car. So they, the, at the time, the officers are thinking, well, he's just smelling what's in the house. Oh my! But God. these poor yeah. confused dogs. Oh. Yes. We, they need to start training them with those word buttons. No, really. <laughs> it seems like every piece of evidence that we collected, we ran into dead ends, said crime scene investigator Max Hunter. Left and right, just dead ends. Bart Whitaker had good reason to believe he'd gotten away with murder. But Slot was beginning to doubt that the crime was a result of a burglary grown wrong. For one thing, he said the dresser drawers were pulled out but not rifled through. There was no evidence of a break-in, really. And the only missing thing missing from the house was Bart Whitaker's cell phone. Now, here's a, here's a spoiler alert. The reason that Bart Whitaker's cell phone was missing is because the uh, killers got so nervous after killing everybody and shooting Bart that they left the cell phone, they left the gun, but took the cell phone. So it was like a brain mix up. Yeah. And that, that was a good clue. Yeah. Uh Oh, (laughs) so the burglar left the gun. They left all the electronics, but they took a cell phone that they couldn't find at the scene. That that just is weird. It's weird. That was a real oddity, said Slot. It stuck out in everybody's mind. Mm. As journalists descended on the story, one detail reported in a local paper raised a red flag for Slot. This, this reporter, I love crime reporters, I really do. Bart Whitaker had not, in fact, graduated from Sam Houston State University. He hadn't finished his finals. None of that was true. Actually, he had not even attended the school for three years. Oh, uh-oh. That's a lot. In his, in his freshman year, he was put on academic probation, and he never went back. <sighs> even though he was living in a condo his parents had provided for him that whole time that he was not going to school, he was living there pretending to be in school he made up transcripts he made up letters of you know of great you know academic prowess i mean that's elaborate first and foremost oh holy heck yeah i was just about to dive in on those poor parents you know i'm a parent and i hate it when people come for the parents it's like well the kid didn't do it it's like but the parents weren't you know if you're paying for it like you didn't want feel the need to call the office and just like, hey, just check it in. Even though I know you can't. These are adults, but oh, three years. Oh my God. Yeah, that 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 just, you know, I Caroline, when you were in college, how many times did we run up there to make sure you were still oh in God, school so and you were still all right? Yes. There were so many. And I'm so grateful you did that because what it really did was force me to work out the muscle called accountability and like I had to like get out of my own my parents don't always tell me when they're coming up here so <laughs> well, I mean you know I mean, oh yeah well because then when you're caught you're like you have consequences and so for me I remember you like instantly like well I want to rescue you obviously so that you never do this again and I said no remember 
let mm-hmm. me suffer. And I did mm-hmm. that because I, knew if I didn't suffer. I would do this again. <laughs> yeah, we we won't tell the listeners the things that you did where you I did offer to bail you out, and you're you like, did. no, you're sweet, but I'm like, clearly, I'm never going to learn. So. <laughs> Just be there on the sidelines. <laughs> There's no no bailouts for it needed. You'll be fine. You you'll land on your butt first, and then you'll finally That's rise right. and land Eventually. on your feet. Yeah, if you don't die, you'll get up. So yeah. <laughs> but I I was a rescuer. I mean, sometimes I like to do that. Anyway, so three years now, Caroline. For this <laughs> next part, I just have to look at my television mind about how the detectives are sitting around talking about their stories to the lead detective and they're trying to put their minds to this murder. What did, what about this? What about this? What about this? Trying to come up with leads out of their thin air and along walks a police officer and hears all this. And uh, that's when a Sugarland police officer recalled that he had been called to the Whitaker house once before, two years earlier, regarding an allegation that Bart had threatened his parents' life. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, well, it had to be bad for the to actually call the police. I feel like families who actually dial that 911, it got serious for a minute there. Well, I don't think it was the parents who called 911. It was something about a friend overheard Bart talking to his roommate about, and they concluded that it was a misunderstanding that was based on the friend drinking and that there was nothing to it. That's what Kent Whitaker, the father, said after the fact. Now, talk about rescue. If he had any inkling, which I kind of doubt that he did, but, I mean, but if he did, okay. he was kind of making up a story about how, oh, officer, don't worry about it. My son is not going to kill me, you know. Right, right. Which I think is a normal response like for parents who don't want to believe that's true. I mean, oh, awkward. <laughs> but at the same time, like you're in college and you're drinking and you have a friend who knows you so well that this is the kind of misunderstanding. He has a misunderstanding with you to this degree that they're the one that's a call the cops. I mean, to me, that screams that Bart has a type of personality that can get very scary very fast or something. Well, yeah, that's what we call smoke. Where there's smoke, there's, there's fire. fire. Yeah, because that's... But I anyway... Mean, I never would have called the cops on somebody. Like, I just didn't ever hear anything that serious in college, I guess. <laughs> I, no, I mean, if I if I thought that somebody... When I was that age, right, and I heard somebody say they were going to kill somebody else, I would have run to my my simple little life where I was happy with Ted and and, and maybe someday yeah. he would have a baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? But all those little pieces set off bells and whistles in their heads, mm-hmm. and they decided to start looking at the sun. Slot had discovered that Bart had shown his parents fake school reports, fake grades, and Bart made up fake college stories for three years. Caroline, three years is a long time. Three years ago, we were in the pandemic. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a really long freaking, that's a lifetime, it feels like, when you're talking about you are creating a fictitious story. (laughs) I know. Bart had gone to college as a freshman, like everybody else does, but he was soon placed on academic probation because he never went to classes. So it's not like he did poorly. Yeah. He did nothing. He just didn't want to go. I mean, and that's fine. I, I, I really don't think college is for everybody. I think the great myth is that you have to have a college degree to be successful. However, you know, once everybody has one, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. So, I mean, I think that absent all the murder stuff, this is fairly common, but the lying for three years is shocking to me because it takes so much of well, yourself. Yeah, making up stories. I mean, Bart received so money his parents sent to him to pay for school, to pay for school expenses, to pay for school books I mean, and food. Know. And he lived in a condo they were paying for. He couldn't take and some kind of And he never attended the school <sighs> except for that short stint as a freshman, but he didn't even go to class. He spent that money on fleeting things not remembered. Even worse. When Bart and Kent were both released from the hospital, Bart moved back home to be with his father. 
For the next several months, Bart spent every free moment with his father studying the Bible while the investigation made little progress. Hmm. Bart later said he didn't come clean to his father, who had pledged to forgive the shooter. Because Bart said, I'm a coward. So he has insight. This is such a weird person. To it's me. very weird. It's scary weird. <laughs> I didn't want to cause that pain on me primarily, he said, or on anyone else secondarily. So he said, I was just weak. And I think weak doesn't cut it here for me, Caroline. Yeah. Bart is entirely self-absorbed and he's selfish yeah. to an indescribable level. But he does have insight, which I find fascinating because most killers do not. Yeah. But he's then using late his insight. One night, he's, he's using his insight to be calculated, though, which kind of takes away any positive traits to it. I mean, he's, well, you and your dark mind, you are right again. He's a creepy creeperton because he's posing as a nice person. Yes. Yes. So how can someone be a con man if they, or woman, yeah. if they don't know how they're being perceived? So you're absolutely right. And I never thought about that before. It's creepy. That he's a con man. Yeah. As well as a killer. It's so creepy. <laughs> okay. So late one night. A man walked into the Sugarland Police Station and introduced himself as a former friend of Bart Whitaker's. His name was Adam Hip. Hip revealed that Bart had hatched a second previously unknown murder plot that was aborted at the last minute, and it was a plot in which Hip was recruited to be the shooter. One of the plans that he laid out to me, Hip said, Bard had discussed was the exact mirror image of the actual crime that just happened. So once Hip's story was verified, there was a new urgency to warn Kent Whitaker about his son. Slot encouraged Kent to move out of the home, but Kent refused. They told him his son Bart was a killer. He is a liar. And Kent said he thought Bart's lying problems were all in the past. Whoa. So that's a picture, isn't it? That's a, that's a picture that tells a thousand stories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you cling to a truth against all evidence to the contrary, it becomes uncomfortable what to do next because that's... You're talking about Kent now. Yes, right? I'm talking about Kent. I feel badly for Kent who just... His brain, in a protective measure, is not going to allow new information to come in <laughs> that says you're in danger, which is unfortunate because the brain is meant to keep us safe. But well, he seized upon the word lie and the story that the word murder had also been used. Right. So he, he'll go for the he'll go for the little crumb when there was a second. loaf of stolen bread, you know, and someone was murdered to get that bread. Oh I mean. <laughs> It yeah, exactly. he's gonna. Oh, so he's I heard gonna, you say lie. You know, he did at one time lie. <laughs> I thought that was behind us because we asked for forgiveness. We went through, uh, you know, a, a penance, and we he paid it back, or he, yeah. you know, he well, he said he would never lie again. So anyway, <laughs> we feel wholeheartedly, said the police. We feel wholeheartedly that. Your son, Bart, is responsible for this and that you are living with your murderer or would-be murderer, Slot recalled telling Kent Whitaker, you are living with the man who intended to murder you, murdered your wife, and murdered your son. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, scary. In, July, 20, in July 2004, Bart suspected that police believed he was the killer and that he had it and that they had evidence. He didn't know what it was, but he thought that he was probably going to be arrested. So Bart Whitaker fled the country and headed to Cerralvo, Mexico, a town about 50 miles south of the border. Using the name Rudy Rios, he befriended people and began showing up at church and turning on the charm 
and he turned on extra charm for a guitarist he met there named Cindy Lou Salinas. The two began a relationship, and Salinas said that Rudy Rios, she knew, was very romantic. She brought her new boyfriend home to meet her parents, and he was an immediate hit, no pun intended. Her father, Homero Salinas, even hired Rudy to work at the family's furniture store. Now, this is a poor part of Mexico, Caroline, and Bart said later that he really liked living there. Back in Sugarland, the investigation seemed like it had gone cold until another break in the case, and this time it was a big break. In August 2005, a man named Stephen Champagne, who lived a few doors down from Bart Whitaker, said he wanted, in Sugarland, he wanted to come clean and tell the police what he knew about the case. He confessed to assisting in the crime and provided the entire story of what happened on that December 2003 night. Champagne told investigators that Bart had set up the crime, lured his family to dinner, to celebrate his fake graduation from college. And as the Whitakers celebrated, Champagne said he watched from a car in the parking lot. Oh, my God, the chill. Yeah. The I chill. Just, I got the same one. That, that's starting to get ugh, creepy. Ugh. Meanwhile, Bart's roommate, Chris Bashir, hid in Bart's SUV outside the Whitaker home. Champagne detailed how Bashir entered the house with the key Guess where he got that? Yeah. And disabled the alarm with the code that Bart had get Bart had given him. Champagne said he followed the family home and parked on a nearby street and just waited. Brashear said Bart's brother had walked in first. That's Kevin. Champagne recalled in his confession, and when Chris shot him, he said before he shot him, he thought he smiled. Oh, geez. So in other words. Kevin like recognized knew him? this neighbor. Oh, hi, Brashear. I mean, yeah, or not, yeah. Chris, yeah. Oh, God. I know, it's like sickening. It is very sickening. And then Chris shot Trisha and the mom and then shot Bart's dad, Kent, in the shoulder. And then he acted like he wrestled around with Bart a little bit just in case anybody was alive and could see anything and then shot Bart in the shoulder. A minute later, he told cops that Brashear joined him in Champagne's car and they fled the scene. Bart said his family was worth a lot of money, Champagne said, explaining his motivation. He said he would give us some money. I mean, millions of dollars. Now, that was another hyperbole on the case of, of Bart, um, because I don't believe they were worth millions and millions of dollars. Having the, confession was one, having the confession was one thing, but Slot still had no physical evidence to link Bart to the murders. But then Champagne dropped a bombshell. He explained that he and Brashear had thrown a bag full of evidence off of a bridge into a nearby lake. A police dive team was able to dredge up a soggy duffel bag full of decomposing evidence. And though the bag had spent two years at the bottom of the lake. So all of this stuff that we've been talking about took two years. Jesus. Detectives were able to obtain a DNA profile of Brashear on the mouth of the water bottle. Can you believe that, Caroline? Whoa, that's just so, like, I'm so happy I live in the time and place that I do because I am so happy that's a thing that we can determine, you know? Like, that's amazing. too. You know, that was two years later. That So that was 2005. Think about how far from 2005 to now that DNA Oh, has. oh yeah. We're we've moved on to plants and other things now. We we got humans down. <laughs> like, we, <Yeah. laughs> like we moved on. Yeah. <laughs> Among the other items in the bag was a badly damaged cell phone, a high tech data reconstruction process at the lab in a UK in the United Kingdom identified Bart Whitaker as the owner. 
This is the eureka moment, Slot said. This is definitely when we said we've got him. Yep. Slot had the physical evidence he needed to link Bart to the murders, and he obtained an arrest warrant. But he didn't know that his chief suspect was hiding in Mexico until he got a phone call from a man named Rudy Rios, (laughs) a busboy at the local country club near the Whitaker's Sugarland home. Rios was told Slot that he had sold his identity to Bart Whitaker and helped him escape. Wow. Gosh. Whitaker was arrested in Mexico without incident on September 22nd, 2005. In March 2007, a jury convicted Bart Whitaker of the capital murder of his mother and younger brother. Now, let me talk about this trial. Bart ended up telling, I mean, he knew that everybody knew that he was the killer. Yeah. His attorney wisely tried to save his life mm-hmm. at the trial. So the trial was not to find out whether he was guilty or not. Right. So much as it was to Just, try to spare him. So the, the the his attorney, Bart's attorney said, everything that you're going to hear is true. Yeah. Um. What is not true is that my client deserves the death penalty, and we're going to try to show you the evil of these other people, and we're going to, you know, try to keep him off death row. Yeah. Wow. So he was convicted, Bart was, in 2007 of killing his mother and his younger brother. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection. The shooter, Brashear, received life in prison without parole. The getaway driver, Champagne, got 15 years for his role. Brashear was the one who did the shooting, and Champagne is the one who chillingly waited in the parking lot for when the family would leave. So he also probably got some slack for cooperating, but I could not verify that he got any slack. 15 years is not very long for participating as a conspirator in a murder. Yeah. But nevertheless, that's what he got. Bart's reaction. Oh, excuse me. Um, I want to talk for a minute about, uh, you know, how Slot has had to deal with this murder and how he tries to reconcile what Bart did to his family. He said, I'm only left with the conclusion that Bart Whitaker is a sociopath, a true sociopath. You know, somebody who doesn't care about anybody else and just cares about his own comfort. Yeah. Bart's reaction when he heard about the comment to that assessment was, well, uh, then I am. And I am what I am. Creepy self-awareness. Okay, yeah. Bart. <laughs> <laughs> Telling you, this guy is full of self-awareness. To me, he's scarier right now than Ted Bundy. Honestly, I'm just creeped out by someone who can walk the walk while they are clearly not right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because they're everywhere. I'm sure they're everywhere amongst the population, right? This is how we have things to talk about. Now you just shut up about that or I won't be able to leave my house. (laughs) I don't go anywhere. It is too peoply outside. (laughs) I want to remind our listeners that familicide is actually quite rare. It is. And it's why we're so interested in it because it just so defies the the laws of nature. Well, that's it. And I don't understand this dichotomy dichotomy um, within oneself like I'm very stuck with some things like I'm a people pleaser I'm a blah 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 you know we all have our personalities if you will but the sociopaths and the psychopathic killers and those who lack empathy I really struggle to understand that I just especially within a family context a very loving family context I, I struggle. there is a lot of research now that psychopathy of this magnitude is probably born you're born that way, as opposed to some uh, some killers. There are some elements of their background that you can say may have caused them to, for example, link violence with uh, sexual pleasure. Right. So they become a sexual sadist or right. um, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but, you know, with psychopathy, you're kind of, 
not going to do well because you, it's, it's something that you're born with. Now, I don't know anything about whether that's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I just know that I have done enough research in what do psych actual psychologists have to say right. about this. <laughs> what do people have studied it? <laughs> to think, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Bart's reaction to being called a sociopath is, then I am what I am. Yeah, okay. <laughs> At his son's sentencing, Kent Whitaker took the witness stand to plead for his son's life, but to no avail. The jury sentenced Bart to death. Kent said that when that day comes, he plans to be there supporting his son to the end. He's an amazing man, Bart has said of his father. And whether or not I am a person incapable of love, I am a person capable of feeling a very deep respect for that man. I, this, this actual quote sums up Bart to me, like his mental capacities and emotional capacities. Like he is very smart. He can see all the things. But that doesn't mean that he's got a capacity for it, right? Like, that's kind of why I'm so scared of him, because it's like... Yeah, he could emulate. Yeah, he can see how he's supposed to be. He can see what normal looks like. He can see why it's beneficial to be this way. But he can be aware enough to know he's not like that. <laughs> but sneaky enough to play the role. Like, it's it's just an interesting... I don't know that I've ever come across this before, because, like, I likened him to Ashton... You know, like thinking of him as like a spoiled rich kid, but that's not in any way what's oh, happening. Oh, yeah. Capistrano, the, the family in Capistrano. Yes. Yeah. Where he, you know, I mean, it's easy to look at these things and think, oh, spoiled brat just wants money or oh, this or oh, that. But when you start digging in, it gets scary normal. And so you're like, oof. What How about I the guy who killed his, his um, family because he was taking the role of his father, the airplane oh, uh, yeah. guy. Yeah. He took his father's yeah. story. Yeah. Right. And then was like yeah. embarrassed about it. Yeah. So I just, this is crazy to me that he's like, oh yeah, you know, I come from the best family, the ones that I killed. Yeah. They're great. Right. It is kind of crazy. And you know, all I can say is for our listeners, if you're thinking about in, you know, sharing your life with another person, please invest. It doesn't cost very much. Like, maybe $10, $15 to do a national um, a, a check on this person. Yeah. And, you know, to look at some of the red flags, if you catch somebody lying to you for no reason. Right. Um, there are some tales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe that Kent and Trisha did have some awareness. Yeah. That their son was at least a liar. Right. And struggling to find. And that he might have been out trying to find somebody who would kill them because that came out. But they're, you know, they were very eager, eager to find a, a, a plausible explanation for that. Yeah. It was just absolutely incomprehensible to this family that one of them could be a killer. But me too, honestly. You know, is that better to live like that than to think one of us could be a killer? I think maybe so. Yeah, anyway, yeah. anyway. This is hard. This is a hard one. This is a hard one. Incredibly, Kent Whitaker continues to remain steadfast in his ability to forgive. He wrote the book Murder by Family, in which he tracks the pain, the tears, and the faith that carried him through it all. He also details the letters between father and son, including a letter he wrote to Bart that ends with, my son, I love you. All is forgiven. Whoa. Yeah. I want to mention just a little bit about the fact that Bart says about his motivation and the killing he arranged to wipe out his family. So I'm quoting him now. Um. I don't really know a better term for how I was feeling other than I was on autopilot, he said. I wasn't even aware of myself. Bart Whitaker does not shy away from seeing himself realistically. He isn't a full-fledged person, he says, with an identity and goals and motivations. He's just blank. 
on the inside other than thinking about killing. Maybe he is a psychopath. He lets others label him, and he neither accepts nor rejects their labels. He just knows that he is not right. He knows that he is not whole. That blew me away when I read that. yeah. It leaves me so uncomfortable, but it also describes it so perfectly. Right. I mean, the only thing I would push back on is the goals and motivation and identity. You have those things. You just, you're clear they're an unacceptable version in the world you're living in. You know what I mean? Right. You had a goal to kill your parents successfully met. You were motivated by an unknown, but you went with it anyway. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's creepy and... Sad. He goes on to tell people, I had a, we, we all had a wonderful time before dinner. And then packing up and driving over to the restaurant and then all the way home. And Kent Whitaker um, said the same thing. Wow. He talked about what a great time they had. And, and, and I'm stuck with Kent's point of view in that you have to juxtapose that sentiment with his son, Bart, and what Bart did when they got home. You know, Kent Whitaker is a whole and honorable person, in my opinion, although I think his life of faith sometimes may have blinded him just a bit, maybe more than a bit, to clues that Bart was not right. Something was desperately wrong with Bart. And even when he learned that when Bart was in Mexico, he told his girlfriend that it would be easy to murder his parents, her parents. Okay, let me start that sentence over. Yeah, wow. What? So when Bart was in Mexico and he had that girlfriend. And he's living as Rudy Rudy Rios? Huh? Is it when he's living as Rudy Rios? Yes. Okay. He's, He's living as Rudy Rios. His girlfriend made some disparaging remarks about her parents and Kent, I mean, uh, Bart told her, you know, you can, it's easy to murder your parents. Okay. Then that got quoted by the police because Bart owned it and the, and the, and the girl he was in love with owned it and said that he said it. Right. And when the police told Kent that, he still forgave. He still forgave. He still hoped that Kent was somehow innocent of murdering his family or trying to. And so that's what I mean when I say Kent is a fantastic man. He's a man of faith. And perhaps that faith blinded him to the possibility that someone he loved with all of his heart would be, and who raised, was raised under his roof. He is the father. And, you know, they're always praying to God and thanking God for what they have and asking God, put me to use. I want to be your, you know, tool to help mankind, to help the world, all of those good things. He also maybe was a little blinded. Yeah. I mean, I can use data to support either viewpoint I want. Watch me. Like that's the beauty of data. That's the beauty of any medium. It is an artistic, you know, words. I can construct them together to say something that seems totally crazy, but you know, it works. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that going on here, which I think any parent can understand. You are, your brain is just desperate. Not my baby, not my baby, you know, but in reality, we're lucky that Bart is at least open about his psychopathy, his lack of emotions, these clear things that he knows are wrong and bad. But I mean, geez, golly, Pete, this guy. (laughs) Well, we promised our listeners that it's the new year, 2024, and we're going to tell this story. And one of the reasons we were drawn to it is because there's hope. And so now we're going to talk about some hope. Kent Whitaker married again, and his wife's, with his new wife's help, he fought a hard fight to get Bart's death sentence reversed. In 2018, Bart's number came up to die in the electric chair 
which Florida has used to execute people like Ted Bundy and others like him. The day of his execution, Kent visited his son, who had been shaved bald, for the execution process. A sheet of glass was always between them when they visited. In the end of that visit, Kent held his open hand against the glass where, par- where Bart had his hand placed from his side, and this was their goodbye. Oh. Kent had always said he was be in the witness room for Bart, but he just couldn't go in. He was empty of everything but love for Bart, and he just could not do it. He had tried for 15 years, 15 years, to save his son's life, telling anyone and everyone that he believes his son should never leave prison, but he wants his one remaining family member to be alive, and he wants to stay in his son's life. Kent's wife agreed to go into the witness room representing Kent. At the time of his execution, Kent's wife called uh, Kent. Kent knew that the call would bring the inevitable end to his son's life or the, the news that his son's life had been taken. But that's not what his wife told him. Moments before his time to die, Governor Greg Abbott stayed the execution of Bart Whitaker and commuted his sentence to life. Wow. Governor Abbott had never done this before, ever. He's not done it since either. And Caroline, you know, Texas is keen on the death penalty, and they execute people more than any other state in this country. Yep. Now, I was raised in a church, Caroline, and I have intermittently been drawn to visiting churches and even joined one or two since my childhood. What I usually experience is tropes of Christianity, two-faced believers and power struggles for church power and folks who, like me, fade in and fade out because of the warmth found in church while I was young. Rare is the Christian who faces the darkness that Kent Whitaker faced with his entire family dead, save for the annihilator. And I don't know Kent, but I can see his actions. And I believe that by watching what a person does, you get to know them. This man believes in love and the power of his loving God. And he dedicates himself to that love and to that faith. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, I wish that I was more like him. I agree. I wish I had that kind of skill because as much as we talk about it being a, maybe a hindrance or a blinder, it's a skill. It's a nice. Well, not opposite. only that, but, you know, this is a true believer and he is truly, he is truly good for his word. He's a man of God and he acts like one. And, you know, watching him over 15 years try to save Bart's life and then to be left hopeless and not be able to face the killing of his son and then to get the call that his son's life was spared. Mm. I believe that Kent raised an honest son in Bart who, unlike many who kill, he realizes he belongs in prison for life, for what he did. And he owns up to his deep character flaws. And he knows he is deceitful, conniving, and dark-hearted. But in all of that, he has it in him to admire his father. Right. Like he recognizes the beautiful things around him that he can't do or subscribe to, but he sees them. He knows they're good. Even though that's the end of this story today, Caroline, and you know, Bart has gotten into some troubles in, in uh, general population. He got into uh, trouble, and I don't even know that that trouble has ended, that he wrote a book and you know, you're not, and he got it published somehow. And you're not supposed to do that if you're convicted because you're not supposed to take money off. off you're not supposed crime. to make money off of your crime. Right. Now, I don't know what's going yeah, on with him today because I, you know, but. Anyway, he's still he's still got some kind of racket going on. <laughs> Although if his book came out, I'd read it. Well, yeah, but I you, would. Yeah, you, you wonder about the publisher because publishers have to know that. But I guess in a self published, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That is interesting. 
anyway, I will, I will say this. This story lifted me up so bad. Yeah. I mean, so good. Yeah. It lifted me up so high <laughs> that I'm willing to say in 2024, I'm going to try to be at least half as good at looking at the world with faith and hope. Yes, as Kent was. As Kent surely is. Yeah. And I just admire the heck out of it. I think he could have been a little more realistic, but that's not where he's at. No, no. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you. I am unfamiliar with that level of forgiveness. I'd like to think I'm familiar with that level of like leaning into love, but I guess without the forgiveness component, am I? Well, you know, <laughs> so. I'll, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it, it's my mantra for 2024 20, is to live up to that kind of integrity and congruency with oneself. Yeah. Yep. I like it. I think that's so important. So thanks for listening. And today's episode is researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline, produced by Andy. Our resources, research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books about our subject. Uh, Murder by Family by Kent Whitaker is a good one. Episodes are aired every other week, and if you like us, please subscribe and give us a five-star review, and tell every friend you have and the new ones you make in 2024 about us in person, Um, tell them by social media. All these actions help new listeners to find us, and thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you, and don't forget to live and let live. So bye-bye, Caroline. Bye-bye.